God's favor right now. Um, Abba, Father, thank you for every person that's here. Thank you for the way your love and your grace has not been wasted on anybody that's here. And you're going to speak clearly this morning. And we need it. I confess that your words are life. And you breathe life into us. Can you do that now, Father? Please, in Jesus' name, amen. All right, Christ esteem. How Christ viewed himself and what that means about true discipleship. So, um, you know, Matt Collar, if you've noticed Matt this morning, he has a striking mustache. But if you look at the guy in the top right, you know, I mean, that is one, that is one mustache. So, yes, yes. You know, Matt, one day, <laughs> you're so close, you know, you're so close. So, um, <laughs> Isaiah, you know, kids, kids will say anything, right? So I showed my grandkids this picture and Caroline, no, excuse me, it was Isaiah, looks at the poor lady on the bottom right. By the way, uh, she's 24. She homeschooled one year. <laughs> It's just stress. And, and I say, yes, yes. You were 17 last week, I know. So uh, little Isaiah goes, ooh, she looks creepy. And I say, I say, she's not creepy. She's just getting old. Ooh, she looks creepy. So I say, you know, you'll learn. You'll learn. Um, do any of these faces strike you? Anything that kind of hits something inside of you or intrigue, mystery? Ainda? I'm always drawn to black and white. So black and white yeah, 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 yeah. A lot of intense emotion there, right? Right. So, isn't it interesting that Isaiah, in about one and a half seconds, made a judgment call on that poor lady's character? Based on her physical appearance, he made a judgment call on who she was internally. Boy, we do that all the time. You know, we, we can look at the guy in the middle and the tie and say, well, he looks like he's a smart aleck. You know, white guy that knows everything. That's bad, you know. And, and we can look at, at this other person and make opinions and judgment calls. And, and we do this stuff. We look at people and make immediate judgment calls. And oftentimes it's absolutely baseless because we just don't know people. And so there's a tendency, therefore... That we see ourselves as we're seen. And we react to people in the way that they see us. We, have, we, we typically just react. So, all right, I want to remind you of something that is so true in the hatred. And that is that uh, discipleship is a mystery. Godliness is a kind of mystery. If you're not, camp, if you're not careful, you know, you've got parachurch ministries. You've got focus on the family. You've got uh, family life. Uh, you've got navigators, you've got all these, these parachurch ministries. And what they do is they, they, they get their team together and they say, here's seven principles that will help you with the art of marriage. And here's eight principles with the art of parenting. And then they get it all organized and they get some people that can promote it. And they copyright it and they create a little curriculum. And then it becomes cookie cutter. And so no matter who you are, you've got to go through the art of marriage. And if you can just do that, you'll be all set. Well, there's a problem with that mindset, the cookie-cutter mindset, and that is godliness is a mystery. And there are, there are times when you go to a church service 
and you feel like you're hearing something for the first time and the Holy Spirit grabs that information and it literally changes your life, right? Even though it may have been said a thousand times previously. Even though you, you heard the copyrighted thing a thousand times. It's like when the Holy Spirit steps in and grabs it, it's like life. It breathes life inside of you. So I'm just wanting to say, hey, Christ Church, be mindful that being godly is a mystery. That God can take something uh, that's not pure, you, <laughs> me, and make it pure. There's a mystery in that. It's called grace. All right, so uh, to review... We talked about, you know, all those faces and, and how people see themselves. And to, to be really transparent for a bit here, we're damaged people. In case you don't know that yet, <laughs> we're damaged people. And boy, we bring baggage to our dating relationships. We bring baggage to our friendships, our marriage, our kids. And uh, I, I had a dear couple I love and we're working hard and marriage counseling. And I, I brought this idea to them. And I said to him, you can't punish your wife for the damage people did in your life when you were little. You know? And I looked at her and said the same thing. You can't penalize and punish your husband for what happened to you when you were young. I mean, we bring baggage to the wedding altar. It's what we do. We take it to work with us. It's, it's because it's who we are. And when you have a damaged view of self, you can be really critical of people. You can be really good at being judgmental, you know, holding that grudge. And, and typically, typically the, the most dominant, angry kind of people, typically the ones with deep, deep insecurity. And they cover it up. It's an ego defense with, with power tripping and stuff. Now, the need to, valid, to validate and, and you know, fish for compliments. Uh, you know, you pull people close and near, tend to use people. Long-term relationships are hard to come by. Hard to come by. Uh, we fear rejection. Yeah. We actually have this idea that our worth changes based on how we look. I know that sounds silly, right? Because we're smarter than that. But are we smarter than that? You know, if you happen to have a really good hair day. <laughs> you know, it's just like the stars align and my hair is just right. You somehow feel better about life. How can, I mean, if some of us are really blessed, you know, Michael, with your hair. How does that work? Our hair is just right and we feel like life is better. Does that sound shallow? <laughs> does that sound cheap? Is there something missing at the root of the idea that if you're a winter in your color, your skin color, certain colors look good on you? You know, it's, it's interesting. Our brains... A lot of irrational embarrassment, all kinds of stuff that we struggle with, yeah. I think one of the giveaways is that last two, we really tend to worry about the outside and not the inside. And is that not one of the very things Jesus said? Hey, you Pharisees, you keep, you keep the pot really clean on the outside, but on the inside, it's foul. You're like a whitewashed tomb, but on the inside, dead men's bones, yeah. And then the tough one, when we have a damaged view of self, Guess what? We typically have a damaged view of God. Kind of, hard to, kind of hard to relate to God. And we want to make him out to be like us. So, all right. Last Sunday we talked about world religions. You know what? We've got choices. Lots of choices. You can be a Buddhist if you want to. 
You can join Islam if you want. We've got tons of choices. The big thing right now is number seven. This is what is getting pumped out, by the way, in a surprising number of churches in central Arkansas. Moralistic therapeutic deism. It's what J.I. Packer. Does anybody know J.I. Packer? Is that ringing a bell? Kind of dating myself by bringing his name up. He wrote a book called Knowing God. He called it Hot Tub Religion. So Jay Packer picked up on this, you know, 50 years ago. Hot Tub Religion, where God is just this super nice guy and God's out to make your day really good. God's out. God wants you to have a good hair day. He wants that, you know. And that's really tough. But at Christ Church, and what this whole thing is about, is we're about following Jesus. And that's very different. And it costs everything to do that. It's free, but it costs everything. So let's pick at that. I want to talk about education for a moment. Ain't nothing like two redheaded boys. Um, mom and dad, those of you who are parents, or those if you, if you don't have kids, I want you to muscle in on this. This is a question. Engage me on it. Um, what are your hopes for your kids? Even if you're single, if you have kids, what are your hopes for them educationally? You want them to grow up in what? What's that? Succeed. Want them to be successful? Okay. In what, in what ways? Happiness and feeling fulfilled. Yeah. Big picture. Okay, good. I like that. What does it mean? What are your hopes for your kids, your grandkids? Could you? Be better than, than, than what you are, absolutely. Always tend to want more for them than what you had. What else? What do you want for your kids educationally and, and about life? Ooh, I like that. Love the process of learning and not the quick fix and result thing. I like that. That's very wise. Gabe? Teaching them to become a habit. Ah, good. I like that. Form good habits. Yes, yes. Anybody else? Hopes? Anybody online, Stephen? Yeah. To know and love the Lord. Great. You know, uh, Jesus made that very clear. That's going to be Matthew 22, uh, around verse 35, 36, where a lawyer... Ask Jesus, what are the greatest commandments? Which ones? And Jesus answers, love the Lord your God with all your heart and all your soul. Okay. You know, parents want the good thing for their kids, right? You want that? All right. You want to educate them. Let's talk about education in the U.S. Uh, at Christchurch, we've got some homeschooler families, right? You're into that. That's where you're going to go, which is fantastic. Some of us do public schools and some of us do private. Um, uh, Steve's an educator. Uh, others are educators. Comment about our education system in the U.S. Anybody got some intel perspective on the big picture of education in the U.S.? Anybody? What's that? Yeah, yeah, I know. Yeah, it's, it's not good. Yeah, okay. Alan? It's faltering. Yeah, we're stumbling along. Things are not, not going well. Anybody else? Janice. We're no longer like number one in education in any country. We have fallen so far below, and with our resources, everything is curious thing, isn't it? Curiously unacceptable. Yeah. And it's being infiltrated by people who do not believe in the Judeo-Christian values. Yes. Yes. Yeah. 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 Right. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, you've been teaching for years. Big moral shift. 
Yeah, yeah. Uh, Jay? So, um, look at the founders of modern education, like the guy who did the Dewey Decimal System. Uh-huh. Right? Well, they were that guy. And that was, that's at the root of our education system, 1900. So this is not new. Not new. It's a predictable trajectory. Yeah. I don't know if you saw one of the uh, Nationalist Teachers Union. I'm not sure what the agency was. But they made headlines because they're now uh, moving away from the word mother. And they're now pushing what's called the birthing parent. And, of course, there are moms that are, you know, up in arms about that one. So, yeah, we're, we're ha- the neutralizing of gender concepts, the neutralizing of pronouns and things. What's that? They're, they're getting into teaching things they have no business teaching. Have no business teaching and have nothing to do with basic learning. No. And teaching Reading, writing, math. What's that? And teaching untruths. There's nothing yes. true about that. Right, exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, also very mentally unstable people. A lot of the teachers are mentally unstable, and that's causing the children to become unstable. Yeah, it's really interesting. You know, for example, a, re- a retired, a retired three-star general, this made headlines, uh, posted something about Jill Biden, because Jill had posted something uh, about pro-abortion and, and women have a right to their bodies, right? So a specifically female-identifying concept and female with a body and reproductive rights, etc. And so this three-star general, retired general, says, well, I'm glad you figured out what a woman is. <laughs> Guess what? He's terminated by the U.S. Army. Different day. Our culture, radically different day in our culture, right? So, Alice... Yeah, which, which has tremendous implications, doesn't it? So, all right. So this is a little bit, and Alyssa, you're an educator, so, um, uh, so can you give us the answer to the question, please? <laughs> all right, here we go. Uh, uh, Janice, you mentioned about our losing our status. Uh, this is based on the, uh, the PISA assessments, right? And uh, the current one we have is 2018, and the U.S. is ranking 25th, 25th in the nation on education. Okay, making sense. We're struggling as a nation, all right? And I think, Janice, you mentioned resources. You think about what we have in terms of resources and even buildings. You know, it's, it's a sad day that we're dropping to, to uh, test scores with kids that put us in the 25th percent uh, place globally so all right let's talk a little bit about education all right stay with me this doesn't have to be boring I'll, I'll try to make this fun all right if you're a historian and you go back to some of the very earliest civilizations that we have you're going to go back to babylon all right if you're if you've seen laura croft tomb raider there's a line in the movie that talks about the fertile crescent and the cradle of civilization is right here. You're looking at it on the map. That's the cradle of civilization. Syria, Turkey, this whole region, this is where life began. This is where the original Garden of Eden was placed by God. Mesopotamia means between the two rivers. All right. 
The first forms of writing were there. And if you were a little Mesopotamian kiddo, what'd you do? You learned your alphabet. You had memorized word lists and paradigms using clay tablets. Wrote learning, you just memorized it and you spit it back out just like a parrot. You would have to say it or write it at least four times per day. Ancient Israel, what did they do? Well, the family was the educational system, particularly the dad, and dad would provide teaching to the kids. They would memorize things again, lots of memory work. Uh, they would hear things, couldn't write it down, and they would repeat it. They would sing, and they would do imitation. Uh, Teacher-student relationship was very much like father-son. In the second temple period, very similar, reading, writing, memorizing Torah, imitating uh, good people. By the way, non-deviance. What I mean by that is... If you're a Jewish male and you memorize Torah and you're living out Torah, you can't deviate from that. If you, if you take in pagan gods from the local neighbors, you're deviating away from Torah. You can't go to the pagan gods of Babylon. You can't go to the pagan gods of Egypt. If you do that, you're an idolater. You've deviated from the course. Cannot do it. What about this one? Let's work on, uh, can, can I really put some pressure on you guys this morning? This is going to be interesting. In the second temple period, this is after the second temple was built. That's what that means, right? Two schools formed. Bet, that's Hebrew, Bet Shemai and Bet Hillel. Okay. Now, the Bet Shemai tends to be the strict school, really strict. Bet Hillel, more liberal. Not so strict. And these two schools fall. Think, uh, 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 kind of picked at each other. Think about which one's better, Yale or Princeton? You know? And well, Yale says this, and Princeton says that. So think about these competing, Bet means house. The house of Shemai, the house of Hillel, or the school of Shemai. The school, of, you ready? Here's the issue, check this out. Regarding students, and who should be accepted into the house of Shemai or Hillel, Bet Shemai said, only the most worthy students should be accepted. Okay. House Hillel said, accept unworthy students. They'll become worthy. <coughs> Which house do you want to belong to? Hillel. You want to go Hillel? All right. You accept an unworthy student, believing if they learn Torah, they become worthy. Bet Shemai said, no, no. We don't take compromising people in as students. We only take the best. Okay. So we're already bumping over toward Bet Hillel. What about this one? What about telling a white lie? Here's the issue. Should you, if you have an ugly bride, you marry an ugly woman, should you tell her she's beautiful? I'm not kidding. This is right out of the history books, people. This is hard. Life is hard. And Bet Shemai said, lying is wrong. Don't lie to your wife. If she's, she's got her beautiful wedding, Jewish wedding outfit on, and she says, do you think I'm beautiful? You're a good man, Alan. <laughs> good answer. You're not off the hook, buddy. <laughs> Way to dodge it. Bet Hillel said, all brides are beautiful on their wedding day. What are we going to do on that one? 
Okay. Boy, we've got some manipulative people here. Um, just, oh, politicians. That's what it is. How about this one? Regarding divorce, the house or the school of Shem, I said, only divorce for extreme serious transgression. The school of Hillel said, you can divorce her for any reason you want, even if she doesn't cook a good meal. So, exactly, now you get the point, you get the point. You know, it gets tense after a while, doesn't it? So, this, guess what? This, these two schools, Shammai Hillel, formed in the first century BC, right up, right before Jesus was born. They've been going about, you know, a uh, hundred years or so. And Jesus, his response, when, when the guys come up and said, hey, uh, we want to know about divorce. Is it okay to divorce a woman for this, that, and the other? And Jesus, his answer, you ready? Puts him in the school of Shammai. Yep. Yeah. In fact, Jesus, it, historians say, women were being abused horrifically because the school of Hillel dominated Jerusalem. And so women were getting divorced, getting married, getting divorced, and Pharisees were abusing women, marrying one after the other, serial polygamy, marrying one after the other. And Jesus comes and says, nope. And he, he cracks the door. He leaves it open just a little bit. All right. And he, he offers a huge corrective. Um, that's why some people conject that when the woman caught in adultery, Jesus bends over and he's writing stuff in the ground. He's writing all the names of the girlfriends of the, the Pharisees. So, all right. Who knows? What about the Greco-Roman period? You know, again, and this is the, now we're doing the culture of Paul. This is interesting. They would memorize the, the Greek alphabet and they, forward and backwards. Can you imagine forward and backwards on the alphabet? Yeah. They would study the writings and the lifestyles of people that were worthy to imitate. By the way, Homer is like their Moses. Whatever Homer says, that's their Bible. Homer was the man in, in Greco-Roman culture, all right? Sometimes you had to hand copy these texts. You had to memorize Crea anecdotes and maxims. How about this one? Tuke me pistue, which means don't, don't trust luck, is what it means. No trust of luck. Or don't put your trust in chance. You had to memorize that. How about this one? Uh, test, your, test your memory banks. Jay, expect good things from you. Early to bed, early to rise. <laughs> well, you're not educated. You didn't memorize that. Early to bed, early to wise, rise. What? A penny saved. This is exactly what they would memorize. The same stuff. You can look at this and there are hundreds of things you had to memorize, right? This is what made you an educated person, right? But the highest form of education, this is your PhD level work, was when you studied rhetoric, which is the ability to argue persuasively. And guess what? Students picked the rhetors. Students picked the rhetors. The rhetors didn't pick the students. Okay. I picked Aristotle. Aristotle didn't pick me. 
or I pick Socrates, or I picked whoever the local philosopher was. Does that make sense? The student picked the teacher. Okay. Last one. And that's pronounced Byzantine because there's no business like show business. You'll never forget it now. Byzantine. It's just like Greek culture. That carries it up to the Middle Ages. All right. Here we go. You ready? Conclusion. If you're educated, you memorize lots and lots of things, beginning with the alphabet. You study historians, philosophers of your culture. You study the religious writings of your culture. It always means you have a lifestyle of compliance. Always. Okay. And you always had behavioral limitations. In other words, if you're a disciple or a student of Socrates, you would talk like and live like a Socratic philosopher. If you were a disciple of Moses, you would talk and act like Moses. So people would go, oh, you're a student of Moses, I can tell. You're all about the law, aren't you? <laughs> a lot of laws. Why are laws so important to you? You sound like Moses. That's exactly what it is, right? So you get a master's specific information. You're virtuous and you're non-deviant. Ah, there's your setup. You guys ready? Going to test your knowledge. Remember... This whole thing is about Christ esteem. And today's a critical day. I believe the Holy Spirit's going to speak to us. Okay? Because we're now shifting away from the background to literally what the Word of God says about discipleship. You ready? I want you all to engage this. What do you see? Educate, start with educationally in that little paragraph. By the way, a man is born blind, and the Pharisees are all upset. How did it happen? And they keep investigating, and they keep examining this guy. And he's telling him, look, I don't know. I once was blind, but now I see. Okay. Look what's said. What was the question? What do you see educationally? In this. Good. Yeah, a physical, a physical malformation disqualifies you from temple access. You know things like that. Sure. What else? Yeah, Jenny's. They're abusing him, the guy that got his sight back, because they don't like his teacher. Is he deviant? Is the blind guy deviant? Yeah, because he's following something that the Pharisees are not following. Not in the school of Moses. And he's saying, "What are you? Are you a disciple of Jesus?" We are disciples of Moses. Do you see the educational idea there? We're in the school of Moses. What Moses says goes. We don't deviate from that. And you're coming along with some other, some other story? Uh-uh. What about this one? Let's go deep. Yes, yes, sir. One other thing on that, regarding it, what it's saying there about education. He's essentially saying, I have no idea what that guy teaches. I don't know. <laughs> but the proof's in the pudding. I was blind. Now I see. Yes, yeah. I don't know who's teaching what. Interesting. I can see now. Yeah, yeah. That's so good, Ed. Thank you. 
gap. All right, look at this one. Look at John 15. Now, this is Jesus speaking. Remain in me and I in you. Just as the branch cannot bear fruit of itself, but must remain in the vine. So neither can you unless you remain in me. I am the vine. You are the branches. The one who remains in me and I in him bears much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. If anyone does not remain in me, he is thrown away like a branch and dries up. And they gather them and throw them into the fire and they're burned. That's judgment. But if you remain in me and my words remain in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. My father is glorified by this, that you bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciples. Just as the father has loved me, I also have loved you. Remain in my love. Now, we just did a walkthrough on the house of Jesus, the school of Jesus, and what he says. What is significant, if you're going to have Christ esteem and going to get away from Carrie esteem or Chris esteem or Caroline esteem or Lance esteem, what is unique? What do you see? Patch? Yes. His disciples and himself. He's not just a teacher who's untouchable yes. in their following flippantly. Yes. He very much is part of their world, equally as much as their part of his. Yes, that's so good. Keep going. What else do you see? <clears throat> what are you starting to discover about the esteem of Jesus and how he saw himself? How many times do you see the word love, this concept of love? Quite a bit? Okay. All right, question. What has to happen inside of us to be able to love with that kind of purity? Jesus. What's that? Jesus. Really good answer. Yes, exactly. But give me more. What is it? Where do you have to go? What place do you have to finally get to? So that you can truly love other people and not end up in a pile of wreckage and smoke and flames. You gotta love yourself. Love yourself. Did Jesus say to do that? He sure did. Okay. Oh, same thing. Yeah, yeah. Keep going. What else? Humility. What's that? Humility. Humility. Yeah. Yeah. Know just how much you are loved here. Ah. So, so thing A becomes real. So therefore, thing B can become real. Yeah. Where do you see that, Margaret? Let me push you just a little bit. Verse 9. Thank you. <laughs> yeah. Geographical location is within Jesus. Wherever he goes, you go. And you have to remain in him. So if he, if he leads a different way, you must go that way also. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Yes. What else do you see about Christ's esteem or that you see about education and how Jesus is leading the student into change? He's trying to grow the student up. What else do you see here? 
Yeah, yeah. Okay, so Alison, you, thank you. You just said it so simply. Then if you and I are going to be non-deviant, right? And we're going to say we're followers of Jesus. We're going to say that. Then how important are his words to us? What's that? Absolutely. Okay. You ready? Buckle up. You can, yeah, Paul? Well, it's kind of like the vine and the branches. I mean, branches get their nutrients from the vine. Yes. So we have to get our nutrients from Jesus. Okay. We're not you ready for the Holy Spirit moment? When is the last time any of you have memorized anything that Jesus said? When's the last time? Don't answer. <laughs> that one's rhetorical. Don't answer. But, but seriously, when is the last time you took five minutes, five minutes to memorize anything Jesus said? And yet you're quick to say you're a follower of Jesus. What? If my words remain in you, and if I am in you, and if you are in me, Amazing thing happens. But we won't take five, let alone memorize it, won't even read it. You know? Come on! Christ's esteem is the ability to see yourself the way God sees you. Jesus saw himself through the eyes of the Father. Okay? And he would not let, remember all those portraits I've shown you, he would not let the opinions of people distort his view of himself. His parents couldn't distort that view. Mary, Mary and Joseph wanted to bend it a little bit. Come on, Jesus, what are you doing? We've, it's been a, we've been trying to find you. You've made our little vacation really long and hard, and we don't like it when kids ruin vacations. Where are you? Or, or why did you leave us not tell us all this stuff? And he goes... Didn't you know I had to be about my father's business? What is, is this a surprise to you that I'm in the temple? What? Don't you get who I am? He's 12 years old, by the way. <laughs> okay. And he's going back and forth with the Pharisees. So, wow. If Chris Perry saw himself through the eyes of God, my creator, the way Jesus saw himself through the eyes of his father, then Margaret... I'm persuaded that I'm the most loved man on planet Earth because as the Father has loved Jesus, that's how Jesus loves me. And I can stay put in that love. I can remain. Does that make sense? Okay. All right. If you study under Socrates or you study under Plato, you're going to talk like it. You're going to act like it. Plato was into forms. He was into metaphor and allegory. And Plato taught that this, this physical world that we have here, that we're in, it's just a reflection of the greater reality that's coming in the spiritual world. So if I start talking about those kind of things, you're going to go, oh, you studied Plato. Exactly. 
Do you understand? I'm going to be very pointed with all of us. Do you understand that if we never write the words of Jesus on our hearts, we're not going to talk about it. (laughs) And people aren't going to hear it. And people aren't going to go, ah, you're a follower of Jesus, I can tell. They don't get that. Because we don't hide the words of Jesus inside of us. And guess what? We're not a city on a hill. We're not the salt of the earth. We're just busy about our own materialistic ways. Worried more about what's on the outside than what's on the inside. And we're very, very busy, busy people. Doing everything. Except what Jesus said is the essence of the kingdom of his father. If you're a student of Moses, you talk Moses stuff. If you're a student of Jesus, you say Jesus things. Matthew chapter 5, verse 37. I say to you, let your no be no. And your yes be yes. Anything beyond that turns into what is evil. Be a man of your word. Be a woman of your word. Psalm 139, or Psalm 119, verse 11. Your word have I hidden in my heart that I might not sin against you. 119, verse 9, for that matter. How can a young man, a young woman keep their way pure by keeping it according to your word? Okay. Turning it over to you. What about this one? Can't, you can't miss this one. Check this one out. Greater love has no one than this, that a person would lay down his life for his friends. Would Socrates die for his students? Nope. Plato? Not at all. None of them would do that. Diogenes, the dog. That's what he's called, the dog. He would never do that. He was a cynic. He didn't care what anybody thought. The most rude disgusting, smart human around in the day, known as Diogenes the dog. Shameless. Do anything. Say anything. Do anything. Defecate in public. He didn't care. He was a philosopher. Cynic. You know. Would he die for his students? No. <laughs> Jesus says, greater love is knowing that this, that a person will lay down his life for his friends. You're my friends if you do what I command you. No longer do I call you slaves. For the slave does not know what his master is doing. But I have called you friends. Because all things that I have heard from my father, I have made known to you. Pay attention. You're about to get a pop quiz. You did not choose me, but I chose you. And appointed you that you would go and bear much fruit. And that your fruit would remain So that whatever you ask of the Father in my name, he may give it to you. This I command you, that you love one another. What is striking about what he just said? You didn't choose me, I chose you. Yes, yes. He flips the model on its head. What would be different? Don't, don't answer. What would be different about you if you believed you were chosen by Jesus? That he saw that much value in you. Yeah. 
All right, someone on this one. What do you see? And how we're going to live this out in our pursuit of Christ's esteem? Anybody? Sure, that's so good. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. Yes, exactly, Steve. Right. Right. That's so good. Yes. Yeah. In Acts chapter 10, verse 15, Peter's arguing with God about. Is it okay for a clean man to expose himself to what's unclean? And uh, Peter says, hey, Lord, uh, nothing unclean, nothing out of kosher law has been in my mouth. I've never eaten anything. And uh, God says to to Peter, look, buddy, (laughs) what I say is clean is clean. Okay. Nobody over my overrides my opinion. What I say is clean is clean. If I tell you to go give the gospel to the Gentiles, you go. Don't you dare say they're not worthy. What I say is clean is clean. Okay. What if God says you're clean? What if God says you're chosen? What if the love of the Father that was real in Jesus is real in you? What difference would that make in our lives? Ah, you start moving toward Christ. Just in okay, anybody else? Let's wrap it up. Yeah, Tiffany. Uh, comment on the previous slide when you were talking about knowing the words of Jesus and having those inside of us. Um, in 8, he says two things. The way that we will glorify the Father and the way that we will prove to be his disciples is by bearing fruit. So we can't just claim to be followers of Jesus. We can't just claim to be disciples and not have his words and his actions in us. We can't be speaking our own version of his words and our own actions. If we're not bearing any fruit, then we're not glorifying God if we're not proving to be. Which means, Tiffany, you've said it brilliantly, we are deviating. We're deviating off course. We're claiming to be a follower of Jesus and do nothing to demonstrate such language. Yes, it's a dead faith, yeah. And then we wonder why uh, church is boring. And then we wonder why the latest book that's being cranked out at the latest Christian bookstore or the latest program or the latest conference with, with all the stuff that's going to give us goosebumps for only a few hours and why it all leads to another dry place. And we wonder what's going on. What's going on? So, Do you realize the changes that could make, that could happen right now if even today you got your Bible, and probably it's red ink. You know, if Jesus said it, it's in red. <laughs> and you just focused on the red ink. I'm so sorry to hit my microphone. <laughs> you know, I'm sorry. And, and you just memorized it. How about this one? Peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give to you. Do not let your hearts be troubled nor fearful. Imagine if you memorized that and meditated on it, how things would change inside of us. Just that one. Yeah. Some of us work real, real, real hard to help the world make us happy. (laughs) 
We're working real hard to, to give, find the peace of the world, and the opposite happens. Jesus said, the peace that I give you is what's going to settle things inside of you. Not as the world gives, but as I give you. So, all right. If you're not born again, if you've never put your faith in Jesus Christ, if you've never experienced the new birth, you will not know the life that I'm talking about, that the scriptures teach. Jesus said, unless you're born again, you'll not see the kingdom of God. Not going to happen. You become like the branch, really, that won't produce fruit. It's snipped off and it's thrown in the burn pile. And that is a horrific metaphor for the judgment of hell. Is what that is. So, David. Something else you were talking about, God making work. Hot tub religion. Right. Think about this, though. What did Christ tell his disciples about people hating him? Yes, they hated him. They're going to hate, hate, hate you. Yes. Unless you deviate. And you don't say the words of Jesus and you don't talk and act like Jesus, then the world won't hate you. I'm this, like out the world there is the Jewish religious establishment. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He's not yeah, talking yeah. about Rome. He's well, not talking about the pagan world. He's talking about the Jewish religious establishment. Yes, yes. A lot yes. of modern Christians are disliked by the world because they're jerks. <laughs> and we're yes. jerks a lot of times because we have not settled on this, and therefore anybody that does anything that might remotely encroach upon our fragile worldview, which has a cross on it somewhere, but really doesn't have any depth. Right, right. We throw our dudes up and get defensive. Yeah, 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 yeah. And it's more about politics and it's more about a worldview than it is about faith and life change. Yeah, you know, Joe, you're onto something. When you look at what Paul said about what makes a Christian attractive in the Greco-Roman world. They're peaceful. He said, love, yeah. joy, peace. Patience, kindness, gentleness, meekness, self-control. If you do that, you are one of the most attractive, beautiful, and meaningful people anybody could be around. Yeah. Right? Let's talk about faces. We've all seen the faces on these people who are protesting this, that, and the other. <clears throat> yeah. Yes. Yes. We've got the most attractive commodities known to man available to us, and we don't tap into them because we're just as easily tossed around by whatever's going on. Right, right. We're trying to find peace in the world, and it, it'll kill you. Look at what Paul says about how to be born again. Paul said that if we confess with our mouth, Jesus is Lord. Do you, do, you, do you now understand what it means that Jesus is Lord? It's like if I confess with my mouth that I'm a student of Plato, you better find me in the school of Plato studying his, his writings. So if you confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you'll be saved. For the heart a person believes, resulting in righteousness. What God said is clean is clean. And with the mouth he confesses, resulting in salvation. For whoever believes in him shall not be put to shame. Whoever would call upon the name of the Lord will be saved. Uh, if you have never known the new birth, it's not hard. It's not hard. You've got to open up your heart and you've got to confess with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, 
You've got to believe inside of you that God's Son is the answer, that He died for you, He rose from the grave for you, and that life is in Him and no other. I want us to get quiet just for a little bit. And if you've never given your heart to Jesus, I want to ask you to pray that prayer of faith right now. Your words, your heart, your, your, your spirit before God. If you're a Christian, pray for those people, please. Abba, Father, we confess that you are the way and the truth and the life. You're not one of many options. You're the only way. You're not one of many opinions. You're the only truth. And there's no other option. Life is in you and in you alone. You hold the keys of death and hell. You hold the keys of heaven. Abba, Father, I ask anybody that doesn't know you, They've not known the new birth right now. In the mystery of godliness, they're giving their heart to you. Abba, Father, please bless. Thank you for the love that you give us. Thank you that you're stirring the spirits, the hearts of people here, so that they will move away from seeking the peace of the world, and they're going to seek your peace. And they're going to get serious about writing your words on their heart and being a student of Jesus. Open up our hearts to Christ's esteem, please. I'm asking in Jesus' name, amen. Listen, if you've given your heart to Jesus, I want you to talk to me at the end of the service, okay? I love you all so much, and we get to sing love songs now. As the Father's loved me, so I love you. Remain in my love. Thank you so much, Christ.